following clip that you are about to hear was filmed in November 2017. It was part of a compilation of prophetic words on a local program started by Ryan Lestrange called Prophetic Update. Throughout the Bible, God has used men and women to reveal his truths to the world. And today is no different. Through the faithfulness of his servants and the use of modern media production, we are able to connect with a greater impact than ever before. Together, we bring you Prophetic Update. Hey everyone, Tommy Hill, prophetic writer and blogger known as the Love Six Scribe. I want to encourage you with this word this evening about being God's garden, keeping things history, and getting the snake out of the garden. So a few days ago when I woke up early in the morning, I woke up from a dream that was not from the Lord, and I immediately started feeling warfare coming on me. Things that were just um, false, the accusations and lies and things, and God twisting things. And my immediate response was to get before the Lord, just to worship, to break those things off and to cast them down and put them under the obedience of Christ. And as I did that, the Lord started to remind me about in Genesis when Adam and Eve faced off with the serpent. And that the garden was made as a place of intimacy to cultivate fruit, both not just naturally but spiritually. And we talk about Galatians, the fruits of the Spirit. And he talked about it was always about fellowship and identity in him. But the enemy came in as a serpent. And he turned the garden into a battlefield. And we see after Adam and Eve left the garden, the angels and a, and a sword were, were uh, positioned at the gate so they couldn't get back in. So what was intended as a place of closeness and intimacy and fellowship with the Lord became a place of separation. It became a battlefield. And then when we do engage the enemy, we, we on the flip side, going from the garden to an actual battlefield, whether it's the battlefield of the mind or whatever it is, when we engage in spiritual warfare, the enemy always wants to come in and he wants to make it his story instead of keeping it history. When we have uh, met him on the battlefield and because of the blood of Jesus and because of what God did for us and what Jesus did on the cross, when we engage in the enemy in spiritual warfare through prayer and intercession and, and many other ways, and we understand that we operate in a place of victory instead of defeat, the enemy always wants to rewrite history and he always makes it about him and the Lord started to say you know it's the same thing in the garden you know when we look at the story of Genesis we tend to elevate and magnify the serpent it's all about the serpent and what happened in the fall and we forget what was happened and what transpired prior to the fall that it was all about intimacy and relationship with the Lord and that's where he's calling you and I to be. He's calling us to be his garden. He's calling us to cultivate fruit in our life, fruit from the kingdom of heaven. He's calling us to operate in the things that are from above and not from below. He's calling us to manifest a different kingdom. He's calling us to intimacy, to fellowship with him, to faithfulness. He's calling us to elevate him in the situations when we're facing mental warfare, when we're facing off with battles, when we're facing off with things that we really need breakthrough for. He's calling us to not magnify the serpent in the garden, but to kick it out and to keep it history. Some of you are starting to engage in battle once again. You have conquered things through the blood of Jesus. You've conquered things as a believer in Christ. And there are things starting to come back in your life once again to rear their ugly head and try to keep you in a place instead of you advancing. And I will tell you, a lot of times when you're coming against these things, it's at a place where you are being advanced, where you're being promoted by the Lord. And the enemy is not going to sit idly by and let that happen. But you have got to recognize it for what it is and choose a different response. Don't engage the enemy. Kick him out of the garden. Put him under your feet and make it 
history. Don't make it his story. Don't elevate him to a place he's not supposed to. Elevate the Lord. Worship the Lord. Praise God. Begin to lift your hands and declare, God, you are my redeemer. I love you. I worship you, God. I get my focus on you. I get my eyes on you, Jesus. You are the one that defines me. My identity is found in you. I will not lose my place in the garden. I am your garden, God. You can cultivate fruit in this garden. This is fertile soil, God. And thank him. Thank him that he's able to cultivate things in your life that are the kingdom of heaven. So I declare over you right now that you are kicking the snake out of the garden. You are not making it his story, but you are making it history. The things that you dealt with in the past are gone. That you've gotten rid of the, the enemy. You're not listening to him. You're not going to do what's against the will of God. You're not going to do what God has told you not to do. You're not going to do those things, but you are going to listen to the voice of God and you're going to stay in that place where you are cultivating intimacy and fellowship with him because he loves you so much. He doesn't want you listening to the thoughts of the enemy kick get the snake out kick him out of the garden keep it a garden don't make it into a battlefield and make it history not his story make it all about the lord i bless you guys in the name of jesus hi there and welcome to the love six scribe podcast where we talk about biblical truths current topics and where we grow in loving the word and loving the one who is the word jesus christ i am dawn hill and i am the love six scribe Well, first of all, I need to apologize for the audio on that clip, but there was not much I could do about it because the audio was not very good, and the video, when you see it on YouTube, is not going to be very good either. <laughs> but I wanted to switch gears just a little bit, and from time to time, if you're new to my podcast, welcome to the Love Subscribe podcast. From time to time, I like to cover different words that I ministered or I wrote and saying that they were prophetic and that other media outlets such as Charisma and Elijah List picked up. I'm no longer able to access the Elijah List ones, but at any rate, I can't access those anymore. And a lot of the blog posts I deleted, but Charisma still has them up, uh, actually quite a bit of them. And you're going to see on the video on YouTube very soon that I took a screenshot, as you'll see, and there were 36 of these posts, and I cringe saying that, 36 of these blog posts that they started sharing in 2015 up until 2019. And I can only imagine that because my writing changed and I don't know if anything was said by Ryan or anything, it doesn't really matter, but at any rate, uh, they no longer share my posts. And I don't want to say this, when I came out of this movement in 2019, in May of 2019, I was still writing, and my blog has never changed its name, as you can tell, but the writing has definitely changed. I no longer consider myself a prophetic voice or hearing the voice of God for myself or having revelatory teaching or preaching or anything like that. But my goal in sharing these blog posts now is to guide other women back to the Word of God, back to the gospel, and to snatch as many of these women by God's grace out of this movement and to steer them back to the truth of the Word of God and back to the, the truth and the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when I was writing, even after I left the movement, and it took a while for me to come to terms with what I had done because I was so focused on what had been done to me coming out of this, but then having to come to terms with my own sin and my own error as a false prophet. But my writing was still changing at that time. But I say this about my writing to say that when Charisma was still sharing some of these writings, I think I naively thought in the back of my mind that maybe someone will see the truth if they come to these writings and then the 
the reality of that hit me in 2020 when um, I had some things happen that I talk about in other episodes that are earlier on in this podcast. You can feel free to check those out and how I came to publicly repent of being a false prophet. But today we're going to be looking at one of these blog posts that I did. And it just so happened that Ryan had asked me to be a part of this small little elite group that he had chosen to be part of this local broadcast, and it was called Prophetic Update. And so all of us that were part of it, we were told to record our prophetic words and then then to submit them to him, and they would compile them, and they put them together. And this went on for, I think it started in 2017, and then it went into 2018 or the end of 2018. It didn't go on a long time but I was part of this almost every single week. I can't recall a time that I wasn't on there. There may have been one or two, but it's been seven years ago now. But I did find this one, and this is one of the the popular ones that actually Charisma shared of mine that they continue to have on there of the 36. Yikes. I mean, even when you take a look at these, <laughs> you'll, you'll see one from about uh, the tra- the transformational oil spill. I don't think I've talked about that one yet. Maybe I'll talk about that at some time. But uh, just as a side note, when I was on with the Kozars about a year ago on my interview, I had come across something in my research when I was researching myself. I'm sorry, this is a side trail that I'm going to go on and then we'll get back to this. But during my interview with the Kozars about a year ago, I mentioned to Steve Kozar that I had come across an article that was on fighting for the faith, and he had covered one of my prophetic words that I had given about a transformational oil spill. And at the time when I found it, I had already come out of the movement. I had no idea that anybody had written anything negative or derogatory towards me or mocking what I said. And I wanted to add one last thing. Um, Sure. It's funny. So I'm going to laugh at myself as a former false prophet. So... Steve, you have actually written, you wrote an article about me years ago, several years ago, when I did, um, uh, it was one of my blog posts about the, um, the, the, the prophetic, it was like an oil spill was coming or something, and you wrote it on the, um, the Fighting for the Faith, yeah. I think, for the website. Yeah, the, 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 the Pirate Christian Media <laughs> site, that's where my, so that was your article? Yes. And you actually had a picture of Dawn dishwashing liquid. <laughs> it was a picture of who? Dawn dishwashing liquid. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so you read her article and you critiqued it? I guess so. I didn't know it was. I mean, I, I didn't. Yep, that was me. Was that in Charisma? Is that why I, I saw it? It was. Yep. Oh. We still was, get Charisma uh, and we've had not had paid for it. <laughs> It was like an oil no. spill is coming or something. And you're like, yeah. oh, get up. Dawn dishwashing liquid. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. So you probably didn't like me at that point in time. I didn't even know you had written it until after I came out of this movement. And I saw oh. it. And I it was that's so funny. Oh, my goodness. Well, because uh, Heidi Baker had a thing where she talked about, yes. I want. Yes. Was that in the same article that I combined the two things? Uh, yes, you combined the two things, but I didn't know Heidi Baker. For those of you who don't know, I did a lot of writing for the Museum of Idolatry and the Messed Up Church. Both of those blogs used to be on Pirate Christian Media. And all that stuff is still there. Here's the article from February of 2017. A transformational oil spill is coming, says Charisma Magazine. It appears that Charisma Magazine might be trying to compete with the Babylon Bee. There's a link to the article, but it, the article's no longer there. I'm sure Don had it taken down. Maybe Don Hill, who wrote this strange little article, got her inspiration from Heidi Baker. We here at Pirate Christian Media are ready for the oil spill. 
So <laughs> I do remember doing this now. Pretty funny. Yeah. But I thought well, I just that's... thought it was so funny. I came across it. I think last year I came across it. And I thought, <laughs> that's funny. Oh, wasn't that funny? <laughs> but I now I find it funny looking at it because what I said was absurd, and it was not a prophetic word. And as you're going to hear today, this is not a prophetic word. And you're going to hear what I say every time. Go back to scripture. Go back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go back to the the gospel, which is prophetic. It is forthtelling about Jesus Christ. Go back to the more sure word of prophecy. Go back to the Old Testament to hear what the prophets had to say about the coming Messiah who has already come. Go back to the New Testament where you're under apostolic teaching and you're under this glorious gospel that we have been given and that we have God speaking to us every time when we read the word of God. It is such good news to us. And it's so wonderful that we get the, the privilege and the opportunity to study his word and to read it and to grow into fellowship with him. So we'll get back into this blog post. Now, this blog post was released uh, in on December 3rd of 2017. It was published probably before then um, in my blog because they usually would read my blog first and then uh, pull the blog post they wanted to publish because they had my permission at the time. I no longer have permission given to them to share my blog post any longer. After I came out of this and realized my absolute sin and error in what I was doing, I, that was one of the things I did. I reached out to the editor and I said, please stop sharing these. These are not prophetic words. This is not from God. Um, this, these are leading people into error and, and leading them astray. But this was released, as I said, December 3rd of 2017 on Charisma News. It's also on Charisma Magazine. But the, the title of it was Prophecy. Get the snake out of the garden and make it history. So I'm going to read this to you as we go along. And I hope that this is helpful. Again, I, you know, I'd look at my posts from time to time because they're still on here under Charisma, no longer under my blog. But I look at them because I think it's only fair to evaluate what I said. I look at other people. And so I believe it's only fair that I look at what I used to do because it was an error and it was false prophecy. As I was listening to the recording from 2017, I was jotting some notes down and I even made a blunder, I noticed, in saying that God was twisting things and Lord, forgive me for saying something like that, because obviously that's not what I meant. If anything, it was uh, my own deception and uh, partnering with the enemy in twisting things and making this whole thing about the garden into something that it wasn't and taking the focus off of it yet again of what the truth was and guiding people back to the gospel instead of a false fellowship, a false intimacy with God. But I, I talked about fruit and fellowship broken by the devil as we'll get into this blog post. And there's some things that we'll notice along the way. And so I want you just to bear with me as we go through this and we talk about it. And you may notice some things that I don't. And so, as always, I want to encourage you, you know, when you're looking at any of these things, when someone is claiming a prophetic word from the Lord, we are to take things back to Scripture. We are to see, is this testifying of Christ? Is this really telling the truth or is this putting something, is this reading something into the text? And I think you're going to see that that very well is. And it's not guiding back to the gospel. And we don't need new revelation today. We have scripture. But I think it's helpful to look at this because maybe you're still processing and going through these things and you're trying to figure out how do I know what to look at or how do I, how do I navigate these things? Well, I want to try to help in any way I can, even if it's a small way. This blog post, I'm going to go ahead and start reading it. Get the snake out of the garden and make it history, not his story. No one is immune to spiritual warfare. It does not matter how many years you have been in ministry or how long you have known Jesus Christ. 
as long as there's breath in your body, you have an adversary. And that's very true. I want to stop with that and just say there is truth. Whenever you have false teaching, false prophecy, there's going to be some truth mixed in with error. But we have to understand that that doesn't give it a pass because there's little bits of truth in it. Just like there's a little bit of cyanide in water. It's still got poison in it. So we can't just say because there's truth in it that, it that it's okay and it passes the sniff test of prophecy. That's not how this works. As I went on and said a little bit of truth about we have an adversary, which we certainly do even after we're born again. We still have an adversary. We still deal with the flesh and we're still in a fallen world. I said, now I'm not saying this to exalt the devil. He can never be equal to God. And that's very true. A lot of times we make the devil equal to God, like he's the antithesis of God, but he's not. He's a created being, he's fallen, and he is going to be judged because of what he's done in sinning and and being a part of the sin and rebellion of man against God. I went on to say, I'm saying this so we are not ignorant of the enemy's devices. And I cited here 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. And that verse says, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. This is in the ESV. Now, something I want you to realize first and foremost, I've, I've cited a verse here that really has nothing to do with this entire, quote, prophetic word that I'm releasing and that charisma is acknowledging and agreeing that it's a prophecy. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, let's read them. It says, now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you, for such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Now, many times you'll hear 2 Corinthians 11 quoted in reference to demonology teachings or biblical spiritual warfare. And there is a component, I guess, that there is some spiritual warfare there that we don't want to be ignorant of Satan's devices or designs. But one of the things that he's talking about here, this is in the context of unforgiveness, that we are to forgive. And so Paul is reminding the Corinthian church that they are to do that. They're not to fall or um, in under the, the schemes of Satan or to produce sin and animosity that would destroy church unity. So that right there, I just want you to understand that in context. I went on to appeal to a dream. So obviously because, you know, you'll see this a lot in some of these prophetic words that there is a little bit of sprinkling of scripture in these prophetic words, but there's going to be an appeal to some sort of supernatural experience, whether a dream or a vision or audibly hearing God's voice or whatever it is, there's going to be an appeal to that with scripture sprinkled in. Scripture is not the focus. It's, uh, yeah, people will say, yes, you know, we, we view the canon as closed, that we, that we believe that God's word is inerrant and infallible, but it apparently is not sufficient enough. And again, this is coming from someone that was in this. And so I'm uh, vulnerable in this moment and telling you this, this is not a prophetic word. I, I think you don't have to be <laughs> super spiritual to know that this is not a prophetic word. All you got to do is read your, open your Bible and read it and you'll see this is not a prophetic word, and charisma is not a place that you need to go looking for the word of God. At any rate, I said, I woke up from a dream early one morning that can only be explained as a spiritual attack. Of course, I can't even remember what the dream was now. Apparently, it was not powerful enough that I can remember now, but I, it was a, 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 I had convinced myself that it was so powerful that it was a spiritual attack. 
As I pondered on elements of this dream, arguments and imaginations raced through my mind that were contrary to the truth of his word. I believe if we are honest, we all have engaged in the battlefield of the mind at one time or another. When we shed light on these areas with transparency and humility, the darkness is pushed back and Christ is given proper place in our lives. My immediate response was to worship the Lord. I got on my face and I pressed into his presence. Years before my mind was renewed by the word of God, my response would have been much different. Not only would I have entertained the lies and attacks, but I would have stayed in a place of self-pity and victimville, population one. When you become properly equipped by the word and the Holy Spirit, you will respond contrary to previous history. So let me stop right there and just say this as encouragement. Uh, We all go through difficult times. We should worship God. We should pray. We should go to him in our weakness. We are reminded of this in the word of God, that we are to come before his throne of grace with confidence because of Christ, uh, that we can come before him because we belong to him as his children. When we are born again, we are adopted into his family. We become his children with his own. The wrath of God is no longer on us. And because of what Christ did, and he tore the veil and he made a way as our high priest, we can come into the presence of God in our prayer time and that we can ask him and and bring our weaknesses, that we know that our strength is found in Christ alone. So the immediate response should be worship, the, worship the Lord, prayer. Uh, I've talked about prayer before. There is an acrostic that's really helpful a lot of times. It's acts. It's adoration, uh, adoring God, worshiping him, uh, exalting his name, remembering who he is, confession, remembering that we're sinners, that we're, that we're saved by the grace of God and that we need Christ every day. We need his grace. We need his mercy. Thanksgiving, um, thanking him and praising him for who he is, for what he's done. And then supplication, which is prayer, bringing our requests to him, our petitions to him. And Philippians 4 reminds us of this too. And even I think you can see the acrostic of Acts as a side note in Philippians 4, when you're looking at 4 through 6, that you can see the adoration. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I think you can find every element in there that helps you to understand that prayer is not just you coming with a a little task list and checking things off and, oh, I prayed for Susie and I prayed for John and I prayed for so-and-so and and I did this and did that. And and we're all uh, prone to do that sometimes. We treat prayer as if it's just something we check off our list and we forget. And and I know this has just a side note on this prophetic, this quote prophetic word, I should say. But I think sometimes that we look at prayer as something that's boring, that we look at it as mundane, and that we don't see that there's opportunities all around us every day to pray for people. And that doesn't mean that we have to lock ourselves away for hours on end and show how spiritual we are, but that we can take a moment and to pray and to, to ask God when we see those things, whether in social media or family or whatever it is, or if you have a certain time when you get up in the morning or in the evenings before bedtime, whenever it is that we devote that time to prayer, not because we have to, but because we want to, because we want to obey God's word. And that's part of our fellowship with him. We have the amazing opportunity to come before his throne of grace. And so prayer provides us that way because of Jesus Christ. So back to this word, you know, our immediate response is to worship the Lord, that we can press in and to pray 
And, you know, I think that there, at the same time, there can be some manipulation in what I said in this, because uh, we, we seem to think, well, my response would have been different uh, years ago, that I would have entertained the lies and attacks and stayed in a place of self-pity and victimville. And I, I wish I could tell you that I still don't do that sometimes, but there's times that I do that. And it's because I'm human. I know that's a real shock, isn't it? When you start admitting that you're human and that you're that you have a sinful way about you. Worry is sinful. We're told not to worry in scripture. And we can get into this place of we focus on ourselves and the, the pain that we're going through and the trial that we're going through. And I'm not saying it doesn't matter. But what I am saying is, is that we're in a fallen world and that we're reminded of our need for Christ daily. And that's a great place to be. And then when I said you, when you become properly equipped by the word and the Holy Spirit, you will respond contrary to previous history. So I think a lot of times looking back, that statement in and of itself can be tied to the word of faith type teaching because I used to have this mindset and I'm sure I got on my husband's nerves and I'm sure I got on other people's nerves and I'm sure I still get on people's nerves to this day. But when I used to hold to this type of belief system, it was don't say that, don't speak that out loud. You need to not speak negative things over yourself. That was part of that, that when you become properly equipped by the word and the Holy Spirit, that you'll know what power and authority you walk in. And that's a very warped teaching because then you become the one that has all the power and authority. And I, I would stand by this belief is that it puts Christ on the periphery and it puts you at the center. And that's backwards. Uh, Christ is at the center and we are at the periphery. We are worshiping him. He is our focus. He is our the object of our faith. He is the one that we cling to, and we know that he holds on to us, that no one can snatch us out of his hand, that scripture tells us in John 10, we know that he is our hope, that he is the one that we have placed our faith in to save us. And so it's not a bad thing to admit that you're weak. It's not. It's not, it's not wrong to admit that you've got um, a doctor's report of illness. It's not a bad thing to admit when you're feeling an- anxious, when you're battling different things in this world. What we want to do is take those things before the Lord and ask him to help us in our struggles and our weaknesses. When we sin, when we fall short of the glory of God, we are ever reminded that we are to focus on Christ. We are to keep our focus on him over and over and over again. The word of God reminds us to do that, that we are to look upward, that we're to look to him, to look to the things that are in heaven where Christ is seated not to the earthly things. Colossians 3 talks about this. So we are reminded we are going to face things in this world. There are going to be trials. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be suffering that takes place. There's going to be sin that comes. There's going to be temptations that come. We are going to face the enemy and we are going to deal with spiritual warfare, but we have hope in Christ. And, uh, And being weak before the Lord is biblical because that's what we are before the Lord And it's because of his strength and by his strength alone that we can stand firm on these things and being submitted to him. As I went on, I said, in that moment of worship and refocusing on the one who deserves my full attention, the Lord spoke this to me. And this is what I'm saying that God said, quote, get the snake out of the garden and make it history, not his story. Now, why would God say that to me when Jesus is the one that's the focus? in the fall, in the garden. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But this is what I was claiming that God spoke to me. Now, I've had people ask me before, 
And I just want to engage this for a minute. I've had people ask me before, did you honestly think that God was speaking to you? Were you trying to deceive people? What were you doing? And my response is, I thought that God was internally speaking to me. I had been taught for years and I taught other people that one of the ways that God spoke to you was that you heard that still small voice. You know, that's the reference in Kings where Elijah is in the cave and he's run from Jezebel and all these natural elements are coming, the whirlwind and the fire, and and he's standing in the at the, the entrance of the cave and there's the still small voice. And people will focus on that, the internal voice, and saying that God can speak to you that way, that he also speaks in an audible voice, that he speaks through dreams and visions and other things. And we won't get into that today. I've talked about those things before, and I'm sure I'll talk about them more as time goes on in the future, Lord willing. But at any rate, I think one thing that we just want to say right now is that the Word of God is to be our final authority, and it is sufficient for us to know how to live life, uh, a life of godliness and holiness. And so we can rest in that, and we don't have to continue to seek to hear the voice of God for ourselves. And let me say this in boldness. Anyone who tells you that if you're not hearing the voice of God for yourself, then you don't have a relationship with God then you need to question what they're telling you and you need to take it back to scripture. And I would not even listen to those people because if the scripture is not sufficient enough for you to know who Christ is and that God has revealed everything in his word that we need to know about him and his attributes and who Jesus Christ is and that you can't rest in that for your faith, for your salvation, then you need not listen to that person any longer If they need an extra revelation and they need to continue to hear God for themselves in order to prove that they have a relationship with Christ, then that's a works-based salvation. My salvation and my relationship with Christ is based on what he's done. It is not based on any merit that I can claim of my own. And every time I open my Bible, God is speaking. He has spoken, and this word is precious, it is powerful, and it says it's alive sharper than any two-edged sword. And we know our Lord and Savior is the Word, of course, but He's also left us the Word that testifies of Him. And that's how we came to saving faith, was through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It wasn't through a supernatural experience, so to speak, of a dream or vision. It was through the proclamation of the gospel to let us know our need for Christ as sinners in rebellion against God and the wrath of God abiding on us. And our brokenness and our contrition towards a holy and just God knowing that he sent his son to pay in full and to take on himself the wrath that we deserved and to give us the promise of eternal life through his resurrection. So it's the finished work of Christ on the cross that I personally rest in, and I hope that you rest in as well, because that's where our hope is in. And so anyone who tells you that you must hear the voice of God for yourself, even on a daily basis, and I've heard people even as of late say that, If you don't have a relationship with God where you hear his voice consistently, then you need to check to see if you're even saved. Where does it say that in scripture? That leader is placing burdens on people that they cannot fulfill, and then it will cause you to be in bondage. So to get back to this, quote, prophetic word, I was claiming that God said, get the snake out of the garden and make it history, not his story. Now, this whole sentence right here, though, is ironically making it about Satan because it's focusing on the serpent instead of what Christ did. And even the first prophetic word, as I've talked about last week, the Proto-Evangelium in Genesis 3.15 that's talked about, that's prophesying of Jesus Christ. 
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I went on to say, when he said this to me, it stirred my spirit. Uh, scripture didn't stir my spirit. It was getting an extra biblical revelation that apparently stirred my spirit. I had a choice, just as Adam and Eve did. Yes, I had chosen worship as my warfare, but I also chose to kick the snake out of the garden and make it history. This is not the devil's story. Well, that's ironic because it sounds like it is right now because it's not focused on Christ. That's what, that's what I want to say to the old me that is long gone. I can't unsee and unhear the things that I've seen and heard now and realizing the sin and error that I was in. I can't unring that bell, and I'm not going to try to. But it seems rather ironic I'm talking about all this and, and saying it's not the devil's story, but it sure sounds like it is. Goes back to that sovereignty of Satan thing I've talked about, doesn't it? I went on. Your life is to be a written epistle testifying of Christ. It is his fragrance you release, and it is his testimony you bear. Now, again, there's truth to this, but this is very this is vagary talking. This is very vague speech that's coming out. I'm I can tell you right now, when I wrote this, I'm thinking more along the lines of an a romantic intimacy. And it's very icky to me now to even talk like that. And to realize that I was talking in that type of mystical type, romanticized Jesus type way. But this is what I was doing. So, but at the same time, there are little bits of truth in this. Your life is to be a written epistle testifying of Christ. Paul talked about that. But that's not the context. And, you, and I would encourage you to look at that. It is his fragrance you release. And it is his testimony you bear. Yes, but that's the gospel. <laughs> you see, that's the gospel. And again, the whole talk of fragrance, I believe that uh, Paul talked about that in Corinthians. And if I'm incorrect, please feel free to correct me. It's okay. But just thinking off the cuff, I believe that was in uh, Corinthians where he talks about that the fragrance that we that we have as believers when we are proclaiming the gospel, it's either life to those or it's death to those. It's death to those that don't want to hear it, but it's life to those that will receive it and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. You are his locked garden and fountain sealed, I said, and you have the authority over the serpent. Mm. We must stop allowing the snake into such a pure and holy place. How will you respond? <sighs> well, I would respond by saying, don't listen to this lunatic that's writing this. That's what I would say right now. <laughs> don't listen to this person. Get off charisma and stop listening to this person for heaven's sake. I'm having a little fun today, but I would just say this. At, these things have grieved me. I can look at them now and be a little bit more lighthearted because I know that God has forgiven me of, of these things that I did. And I will not go back to them. I will not return to the vomit of these things, these, this prophetic vomit. I'm not going to return back to this. Uh, I am confident in his word, and I am satisfied in his word. And I'm not going to be able to fulfill a lifetime of plumbing his word, of truly understanding the depths and the richness of his word. I'm not going to fully understand the depths and the riches of his gospel until I'm in eternity with Christ. But until that time comes, 
I want to continue to understand his word and to grow my fellowship with him by reading his word and seeing the richness of it that I can comprehend in my finite mind in this world. At any rate, in this prophetic word, I ask the question, how will you respond? How will you respond? And uh, like I said, I would say, don't listen to this person. Go back to scripture. That's how I would respond. Is this a prophetic word? That's the question. That's the question. The, t- the subheading, keep it in perspective, comes up. And then I said, you see, the enemy will try to make your life all about him. He wants to be enthroned. And when we remain in that victim mentality, instead of being more than an overcomer through Jesus Christ, we oblige him in his pursuit of exaltation without realizing it. When we entertain his notions and accusations, we consider eating from a tree that is forbidden. And we turn the garden into a battlefield. Is that really what happened? Is that really what happened? Oh my goodness. Because the thing is, Adam ate from the tree. Adam ate from the tree. He ate from the tree that God explicitly told him not to eat. He ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God told him in that day, you will certainly die. And I want to say this, and I'm going to interject this clip from R.C. Sproul that I came across a, a while back because it's the famous uh, thing that we see of what's wrong with you people. And uh, ever since of finding R.C. Sproul and listening to some of his teachings, it, it is really, there was a Q&A that where he said this, and I've listened to this Q&A, and it's really interesting. I want you to hear this clip. You see God's grace is the point in, in the garden. When he says you will surely die, and he continues to, to allow Adam and Eve to live. It's spiritual death that takes place, but there's grace that God extends. I want you to hear this clip while I'm thinking about it. This was an impromptu um, thing, but let's, let's listen to this. I want you to hear it if you haven't heard it. Since God is slow to anger and patient, then why, when man first sinned, was his wrath and punishment so severe and long-lasting? Time out. <laughs> Didn't we just have that question a second ago? We did. Yeah, it's a little, I think little, we little did. Nuance. That God's punishment for Adam was so severe. This creature from the dirt defied the everlasting holy God. After that, God had said, the day that you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. And instead of dying, Thanatos, that day, he lived another day and was clothed in his nakedness by pure grace and had the consequences of a curse applied for quite some time. But the worst curse would come upon the one who seduced him, whose head would be crushed by the seed of the woman. And the punishment was too severe? What's wrong with you people? I'm serious. I mean, this is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is, and we don't know who we are. The question is, the question is, why wasn't it infinitely more severe? 
Romans 5 tells us this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps a good person, one would dare to even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Paul goes on to say, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a far better word for for you and I to hear than this nonsense that Charisma shared from my blog post in 2017. And this tells us about the sin in the garden and what happened. Death entered because of what Adam did. It was not made into a battlefield and the focus was on Satan and me saying, oh, well, you know, God told me this revelatory word that, you know, that you you need to kick the snake out of the garden and you need to make history as if you could go back and rewrite what happened in the garden. We can't do that. No amount of inner healing or sozo of any kind is going to make that go away because we know that sin entered because of man's rebellion and sin against him and disobeying what he said to do. And so now we have the glorious good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we've been justified. Romans 5 tells us we've been justified and that the gift that he gives is far better than the one man's trespass in the Garden of Eden. Now we have forgiveness of our sins and we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. But here in this word, I I focus on 
uh, a, the serpent, even though I'm saying don't focus on the serpent, I'm focusing on the serpent. It's it's silly, really. And telling people that we consider eating from the tree that is forbidden. Well, that's already happened. So sin is the issue. What should have been said in this blog post was the gospel. I should have just typed out Romans 5 and just said, go back to the gospel. But unfortunately, that's not the type of things that get you published on Charisma or on these types of sites. It's these thus saith the Lord and these extra biblical revelations that you're claiming that really are not agreeing with scripture. I went on to say, but when we address the serpent and we place him under our feet as the body of Christ, we send him slithering out of the garden and we run to Abba as we hear him walking in the cool of the day. He does not have to ask, where are you? Because our identity is intact. I am not naive enough to believe that we do not have to engage in spiritual warfare. And again, there is some truth to this. Even as a believer, you're going to engage in spiritual warfare. The issue is, is that many of us were taught wrong and incorrectly about spiritual warfare in this movement that we came out of. And it becomes a hamster wheel of spiritual warfare. And then you run yourself ragged trying to fight the devil doing all of these things that you're told to do to wage war and and bind Satan and rebuke him rather than knowing what scripture actually says in context about resisting the devil and putting your faith in Christ and trusting him and knowing that he's the one that is your shield and your fortress and the one that you take refuge in and that you are to go back to the word of God and to renew your mind and to keep yourself submitted to Christ and how to resist the devil. Oh, goodness, and to put on the and to put on the armor of Christ, which is re- you trusting in Christ, reminding of, reminding you of who Christ is, of His righteousness, and the gospel that you are to minister, and the Word, which is the the sword of the Spirit. All of these things that we're to to focus on in the right context. I said we must simply understand that the enemy does not have permission to set the atmosphere in the garden, which is us. When we read about the garden in Genesis, our focus tends to shift onto the fall. And we forget what was intended from the beginning. Well, yes, we should know what was intended from the beginning and that God is faithful to complete that, to do what he intended. We also understand that scripture says from the foundation of the world that God's ultimate plan was for Jesus to do what he did, which was to come and to die for our sins. He's sovereign and he knew that this was going to happen. And we don't understand that in our finite human minds. But we know scripture, what it says, and we believe it. If we are in him and we are his children, we believe what his word says. He knew that this was going to happen. Adam's sin did not catch him off guard, and it was not plan B, as open theists would have you believe. This was God's plan from the beginning, and it brings him glory. The whole plan brings him glory. The plan of salvation was From the beginning, before the foundation of the world, he is the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. So there we have it. When reading this, I'm going to focus on, you know, when we read in the Garden of Genesis, our focus tends to shift onto the fall. Well, that's why we need Christ. And it should shift to the fall because that's the gospel. If you don't recognize the fall and you want to ignore the fall, you have a message without the gospel. And that cannot save you. So the focus is going to be on, you know, we magnify the serpent. I said we magnify the serpent while diminishing intimacy with God. Well, we are separated from God when we're not in Christ because of sin and rebellion. Any message that's brought to you that does not recognize that 
and it wants to tell you, oh, well, the devil is your problem. And it goes back to this whole deliverance thing. Now we're going to say, well, we're not going to focus on the devil, but we're really going to focus on the devil. So I'm going to say we magnify the serpent while diminishing intimacy with God. But the problem is, is that, again, there's the sovereignty of Satan that is coming into this whole thing, unbeknownst in my ignorance at the time, in my deception, and ultimately my sin, because I'm not satisfied with the final authority, which is scripture. And I'm going to say, well, we magnify the serpent while diminishing intimacy with God. And then to say the devil needs to be addressed. And once he is addressed, he needs to be removed swiftly and with the authority given to us by Christ. Well, let me just say this. We are not going to be um, away from the presence of sin and from warfare until we are with Christ in glory. But until that time, Scripture has everything in it that we need in order to know how to engage in biblical spiritual warfare, how to deal with sin in our life. And we know that Scripture tells us how to do that. There is nothing lacking in Scripture that tells us how to deal with sin. There's nothing in Scripture that's lacking in telling us how to deal with the temptations that the devil may bring to us, the enemy may bring. There is nothing insufficient in Scripture that tells us how to deal with the temptations of the world. There's nothing. Scripture is not lacking in any of those areas to tell us how to deal with those things. So that's our final answer, our final authority. We can rest in that assurance of what his word tells us. We can rest in the assurance that the Holy Spirit, according to Romans 8, 13, helps us to kill sin. That this is, that's part of our sanctification. That's an ongoing process in the life of a born-again believer. We're not yet perfected. And thank God that he's given us his spirit in this world and that we are dependent upon him. Thank God that he is ever interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I don't know about you, but I need him interceding for me because I'm a mess. Because I wish I could say that my life was perfect and that I never get frustrated with my children and I never get frustrated with my husband and I never get frustrated in general with myself, the the person I'm most frustrated with because I'm with me 24 hours a day. And so I have to deal with my own shortcomings, my own sin, the things that I want to do for God and I don't do them and, and having to grapple with those things and continuing to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling and my sanctification while I know God is doing his own work in me for his good pleasure, according to Philippians 2. But here's the thing, y'all. Jesus Christ has already defeated Satan. This is not about us playing the role of being a savior, even though I would have denied this at the time if someone would have confronted me with that and saying, well, you think you're the savior. I don't think that. But that's ultimately what's happening is that there's this thing of saying you need to deal with the devil. Well, Jesus already did that. He did that 2000 years ago on the cross. I mean, we can see Colossians 1, 13, 14 tells us about this, that He's delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We can see that in Hebrews 2.14, it says, since therefore the children shared flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And we know that there's going to be a a time to come, Romans 16.20, when Uh, Paul says, the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is a time that we look forward to when Satan's defeat will be for all to see and in Christ's second coming and in his ultimate judgment in the lake of fire. 
So there's no need for us to try to defeat Satan. This is not about us defeating Satan. He's already defeated. We are simply told to trust in what Christ has done. He has redeemed us. He has reconciled us back to the Father. And he is the one that has has brought forgiveness of sins. He is the one that has dealt with the devil. But these messages like this are not Christ-centered in this prophetic word. This is sovereign. This is Satan's sovereignty. This is Satan-focused, even though it's saying it's not. And it's making man the Savior. That's not a true gospel. That's not a gospel message. I ended this blog post by saying, I encourage you to not allow the devil to turn you into a battlefield where you were made to be God's garden. Your life is not his story. You have eaten from the tree of life, Jesus Christ. Do not permit the enemy to write chapters in your life. You have two options in moments when the snake hisses imaginations and lofty opinions in the garden. You can make it his story or you can keep it as history and go on from faith to faith and glory to glory with Christ. Now, some of that may sound really encouraging. That may sound like a really encouraging word to some people on the surface. And again, there's some things in there that are truthful, that they would agree with Scripture. But I would say that this is making man the Messiah. This is making man the one that deals with Satan and that we are the triumphant one because we deal with Satan when it's really taking the focus off the one who already did that on the cross and has defeated Satan and now reminding us of where our faith and trust rests. And I would say, too, that this message, again, is is man-centered or woman-centered. It's not Christ-centered. It's using the name of Christ in order to elevate men and women into being victors rather than understanding what victory looks like in Jesus Christ. And so I would just encourage you to, to go back to the Word of God, even to do a study of Romans. And I want to do a Bible study on Romans. There's, there's things, so many things that I want to look at and, and look at more in depth, because the more that I find myself focusing on what the Word of God has to say about my Lord and Savior, the more peace that it brings, the more joy, the more comfort, and the more reverence I have for God. I will say that in this movement, without even realizing it, even in my sincerity, that was sincerely in error. I was making more of myself than I should have. There was a pride and an arrogance there and a self-exaltation. And it was all about chasing the next experience so that I could say I was close to God. When really, I was getting further and further and further away. Because I was not resting in the truth of the scripture. I was not resting in what he had already done on the cross, even though I would give lip service to it. It was still this... There's got to be more. I've got to have more intimacy. I've got to have this greater, deeper revelation on my own, this supernatural encounter, these more dreams, more visions, writing these things, saying that God was speaking to me when I was probably hearing my own voice, honestly, if not the the voice of the enemy tempting me with delusion and deception. So as always, I hope you find this helpful. And I will be looking at others that I've done in the future. Like I said, it's only fair. But I would say this is not a prophetic word. This is not testifying of Christ. It is testifying of the sovereignty of Satan, and it is testifying of us being our own Savior. And we're not putting our faith and trust truly in Christ by such a message when we need to. 
The true, more sure prophetic word is testifying of Jesus Christ. The more prophetic word that's worth telling is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Telling of his death, burial, and resurrection. Him dying on the cross in accordance for our sins. Him being buried and in three days rising from the dead in accordance with Scripture. And that we have the promise of eternal life by placing our trust in him in repentance and and believing that he is the one who saves us and that he has redeemed us. And that's where your trust needs to be as well. And I hope that you find comfort in knowing that because that's the only thing that's going to bring true comfort in our lives is resting in his gospel and what he's done. I appreciate you joining me today and I look forward to our time again as we cover another topic. And until that time comes, my friend, be blessed today by the truth of God's word. Thanks for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. You can also email me at dawn at lovesubscribe.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll consider leaving a five-star review and that you'll even share it with others who may benefit from the information provided. If you also like reading, you can subscribe to my blog at lovesubscribe.com, where I release weekly blogs that correlate with the podcast episodes. I've enjoyed our time together today, and I look forward to our next time together as we dive into biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.